Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all and live your best life. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to part two of this week's episode with Melinda Farina, aka The Beauty Broker. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you check it out. And today is the Q&A portion where she answers your questions around specific procedures, skincare, what procedures celebrities are doing, and so, so much more. Enjoy. Okay, so we are going to get into listener questions. There were a lot. Um, we did get a lot of the same questions over and over again, and we've answered some of them in the hour-long conversation that we just can had. I, but can I pass or go? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there may be some that you want to pass. The ones that I knew you wouldn't answer, I didn't include. So okay. let's see. Okay, best age for a facelift? When you really start noticing the sagging. So that could happen. So again, age is just a number. When it comes to aging, everyone's different. Gene pools are different. So people see that aging at all you know, different points in their life. We've had women come to us at 32 who really are drawn or sagging, You know, have the gels, the beginning signs of gels, beginning signs of marionettes and nasal labial folds. It has a lot to do with lifestyle, has a lot to do with habits, has a lot to do with self-care, has a lot to do with genes, has a lot to do with hormones. So that could happen at any time. But when you're really starting to see those lines going south and everything's kind of, you know, the, the lines are all going down and you're starting to lose the sharpness of your jawline and the skin, if you could pinch a good full inch of skin, then it's usually time. Okay. I'm pinching my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, we'll do a FaceTime later. I'll show you where to pinch. So, you know, okay. Exactly it's funny because I talked to Dr. Mascaro like on Instagram, we're always like texting back and forth uh -huh. and he gets a lot of, a lot of, um, patients from LA who have like had facelifts in their twenties, specifically yeah. in LA, which is crazy. Yeah. And a lot of these young, you know, famous models that have done a lot of surgical mm -hmm. procedures to themselves. I mean, it's, it's a facelift. Mm -hmm. It's a facelift. Yeah. Yeah. We won't name names, but <laughs> well, you know who we're talking about, though. So, yeah. 
Okay, kind of on that subject, what do you think are the top procedures favored by celebrities right now? Top procedures, we work with a lot of celebrities. So big thing about celebrity is downtime because they're usually taping or, you know, have jobs lined up. So they have very short stints of time with very little downtime. And, um, you know, they're always looking for conservative little things like, a lot of my clients who are A-lister celebrities like the microfat transfer. You know, if they're losing a little bit or hollowing, you know, a lot of them are staying away from filler. A lot of them don't want to overdo it with the Botox. Um, a lot of celebrities like platysmal Botox, though, so they do Nefertiti lift often. A lot of them are going, you know, routinely, weekly for facials. They're doing a lot of the Vivace and the microneedling with radiofrequency a lot are doing endoscopic lateral brow lifts because that incision is hidden in the hair. A lot of them are doing the quote unquote mini facelift, which only addresses like the mid face, try to get a little bit of lift and contour in there. A lot of them like the microcurrent. So professional microcurrent is a favorite. Uh, they're big on retinol, big, really big on skincare. I'm just trying to think of what else. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums it up conservative mm -hmm. is the way to go. All of them pretty much have dental veneers. So we always try to get them the most natural looking veneers, a little bit of very conservative lip filler, very, very conservative. But in most part, that those are the, the popular ones. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about something that seems to be popular among the younger crowd right now, which is buckle fat removal. So buckle fat removal is, again, another controversial procedure. Everyone wants that contour chisel cheek, but people find it surprising that when they do it, they're not getting the results they thought they were going to get. It's a very, very subtle result. So I recommend it for people who have very, very full round cheeks, that those are good candidates for buckle fat pad removal. It's not really going to give you that sunken cheek and, you know, the sunken cheek, sucked in cheek look. Um with the contour, that line that goes up, a lot of people think they're going to get like that Bella Hadid contoured cheek if they do the buckle fat pad removal. You know, the thing that you need to know is you, when you, you have to be careful when you remove fat from a face because we lose fat in our faces as we get older. So you never want to, again, voluntarily just strip the face of fat because you're going to actually, in essence, age yourself by doing so. Um, whether you're looking for a contoured cheek look or not, you're actually aging yourself. So be very careful, you know, when it comes to procedures like buckle fat pad removal. If you're a really good candidate, the doctor will let you know. If the doctor says no, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's something that you talk about a lot for just all kind of procedures. If a doctor says no, don't go to the next doctor that will do it. That's right. Now, really. I have to call myself out because Ben said no to a second lip lift and I did it anyway. And I was lucky because I'm really happy with my result. But yeah, you chose two very good specialists. I mean, probably the only two specialists that I give the thumbs up to, you know, in the United States, they're both excellent, both Tale and Mascaro. They're great for the lip lift. But again, there are some cases that I think both of them do that are completely unnecessary at women. But, you know, mm -hmm. that's for another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Offline. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. What procedures do you like to get rid of? chin fat or under the chin? Right. So you have to be very careful with that area. There are, of course, people who have an abundance of fat in that area. So 
usually if there's a lot of submental fat, there's usually a lot of intra-abdominal fat. So we have to take a look at, or, or it's genetic, right? So it could be one or the two. So we have to take a look at BMI. We have to take a look at, you know, where that person is with their health and diet, because usually those two go hand in hand. If there's a lot of um, under or submental fat, then I'd say conservative liposuction. But again, you have to be very conservative with it. You don't want to strip too much fat from that area because you need a certain depth of fat for later on for aging purposes. Mm -hmm. Okay. We kind of talked about this earlier, but a few people asked about filler migration and if it's real. It is. I can say from experience, 100% real, but I'd yeah. love to hear your take on it. 100% real. Again, you can't just put this clear gel in your face and expect it to just boom, like stay in that one little spot. Like I said before, our faces are in constant motion and animation, especially for nasolabial folds. You think of that little area, you know, if you put your finger on the nasolabial fold and then smile and then yawn and, you know, or like lean on your face, your that area is constantly in motion. So that gel is absolutely going to move around and spread out. Sometimes it goes towards the upper lip. Sometimes it goes towards the cheek. And either way, if it goes in either direction, you're going to end up making the nasolabial fold even more prominent for yourself and deeper. And you're also going to create swelling in the upper lip or like swelling in that, in that cheek area. So a lot, I think that's a huge mistake when people do nasolabial fold fillers. Um, it definitely migrates. I have seen actually people do cheek filler and it migrate into the tear trough and then it gets mm -hmm. trapped in the tissues in the tear trough. So that creates all sorts of edemas. Or if you have a very prominent zygomatic hollow, it could create a malar edema because there's a fluid trap in the malar region that just like loves, loves fluid and, and just you get that swelling in that area, which is very hard to eradicate. So yes, filler does migrate. I had gotten under eye filler from the doctor who we were talking about in the beginning, who uh -huh. is more of a marketer than a doctor who <laughs> is not very skilled. Um, years ago, years and years ago, uh -huh. um, no clue what was actually put there. I don't know what kind of filler it was. I mean, usually who knows? it's like a Voluma or something mixed with another filler, which you mm -hmm. should. Yeah, yeah, and so. You know, initially I was really bruised. Um, I was swollen, but then I didn't really have issues with it. I had issues with other things that he did on my face, um, non-invasive. But a couple years or like last year, I started getting this bubble under my eye. And I was yeah. like, I haven't gotten filler there in years. Like, right. what is it? It's crazy. And I went to Ben, of course, and he's like, no, it it can stay there for many, many years. Right. And I ended up having to dissolve. But and it could migrate. And as the fat pads under the eye break up, it could herniate. So, mm -hmm. you know, depending on if that fat pads, you know, moving around and there's filler trapped in there or trapped in the tissues in there and things are changing anatomically under the eye, you could definitely get a herniation. And then if the hyaluronic acid is still trapped in there, it could also bring more fluid to that area, which can absolutely cause a bubble. So, you should definitely go see an oculofacial plastic surgeon for them to do a little bit of the um, microneedling with radiofrequency to try to dissolve that a little in that area. Mm -hmm. Who's the best candidate for a brow lift? Someone with a super angry, furrowed, low-riding brow. So, you know, if you look at your face and you just look angry or tired and you're really a happy, <laughs> uplifting person, um, <laughs> I would say then, yes, a brow lift is probably the way to go. But again, I, I hate that surprise look. So 
medial brow lift, I don't usually love. If the full full brow needs to be lifted, it should be done very conservatively and skillfully. But usually I talk a lot about the endoscopic lateral brow lift. I like I like the effect that that gives. But again, you know, if you have that furrowed brow or if you have that like really the deep 11s, that corrugator really needs to be paralyzed a little bit. So you do a little bit of a neurotoxin in there, which should alleviate that that harshness. Mm-hmm. So somebody asked about the difference between a ponytail lift and a Botox brow lift. And those are so very, very <laughs> completely different. But maybe we can spe- begin by speaking to the difference between a Botox brow lift and what that can achieve versus an endoscopic brow lift versus a ponytail lift. Right. So a chemical brow lift, quote, uh, or aka Botox brow lift, is just using a neurotoxin usually hit the 11s area, um, which is the glabella or the corrugators. And what that does is then it will calm down the muscle that brings the brow down and then also alleviates the tail end of the brow, creating a lifting appearance. So a lot of people will go and do the chemical brow lift, but sometimes it doesn't work on everybody. Uh, So you know, for the person that it doesn't work on, who also has a very low riding brow, if they can't achieve that chemically with Botox, then they should go and manually correct it with an endoscopic lateral brow lift or a full brow lift, depending on, you know, if it's low throughout or if it's just low on the ends and you want a little bit more of that arch. An endoscopic lateral brow lift is making a little incision in the hairline going in with an endoscope and then putting some sutures in there that anchor the brow and lift the tail end of the brow. So that's an actual surgical procedure. So one is an injectable lift with neurotoxin and the other one is a manual endoscopic surgery. Yeah. And the neurotoxin can only lift like fractions of millimeters, right? I think that, you know, back to my point from the beginning. Right. Yeah, like you're not going to get Botox and look like Bella Hadid. <laughs> you're absolutely not. You're never going to get the brow up that high. <laughs> so let me know she just gets higher and higher every year, though. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I know her brows are really they're they're up there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So since we're talking about that, let's talk about the ponytail lift. So what's the difference between a like an endoscopic lift and a ponytail lift? Well, so Dr. Chachi Keo, who is also a really dear friend of mine and one of the funniest people I know, yes, he's branded the ponytail lift. So so basically a ponytail lift is, it started out as an endoscopic lateral brow lift. That's what it was. And, and he, he specializes in endoscopic surgery. So ponytail lift is kind of giving that lifting effect. Like if you're lifting, if you're pulling your hair up into a really high ponytail, you know, how does your face look? Everything kind of like moves up, right? So that was the inspiration for what the ponytail lift is. It's like women were going to him saying, I love how my face looks when, you know, I pull my hair really, really tight into this high ponytail. Like my face looks amazing. You know, I want that, but I want that all the time. So he's come up with all different variations for what a pony, ponytail lift one, ponytail lift two. Um, he's got all different crazy names for his you know, different procedures. But in essence, a ponytail lift is an endoscopic lateral brow lift. Mm-hmm. And then he also does some lifting on the mid face and, and the jaw, right? And the neck area. He's able to achieve a lot of his full face lifting, you know, endoscopically. His surgeries are very long. Keep in mind when you do an endoscopic surgery, 
it takes so much finite detail because you don't have direct access. You're not opening up the face. You're not making any incisions. So, you know, his claim to fame is that, you know, it's an incisionless facelift, but that also adds an element of more time to the surgery because it's such like minute detail. You have to be really careful. There's all these like very, you know, important nerves that run through the face. You don't want to nick any of those nerves. God forbid you could cause facial paralysis. So, you know, he's really specialized in endoscopic surgery of the face, but there are definitely times when people go in for an endoscopic facelift and end up with an actual incision, you know, around the ear because there's no way around it. If there's too much skin, you can absolutely not do an endoscopic approach because some of that skin needs to be removed. You have to remove some of that skin. So mm-hmm. not everybody is a candidate for that method. Mm-hmm. Let's move more towards some skincare stuff to sure. finish out. So you talked about your favorite preventative tips and tips for maintaining. What are some products that you love that you recommend everybody use? Whether it's like, you don't have to mention specific products if you don't want to, but specific ingredients. Yeah, no, I'll talk about the products that I love. So a lot of people ask me about skincare products. I'm not a dermatologist, but I can always talk about the ones that I've tried and millions that I've tried over the years that are that have worked for me and have been very effective for me. And then when I've basically recommended them for some people and they've used them. I've gotten just like, you know, rave reviews about them. So we've stuck with a lot of these, you know, specific brands that I like to use. Babor, Restore C, Biologique Recherche, I really love. Skin Better Science, I really love. So these, I like Augustinus Botter is another really great one. I tend to lean towards more European brands. Um, I feel that Europe has better sourcing for where they find their ingredients. And they really care about the efficacy. I've sat with, you know, multiple different laboratories in Europe, Biologique Recherche. I've I've spent a lot of time with Babour, which is a German line. Biologique is a French line. Um, Institute Estoderm, another French line, which is is wonderful. Uh, Restorcy, which is born in Norway, which is now she bought to the States. Um, She's a Harvard grad. She's brilliant. Patty Peo. So I've sat with a lot of the founders of these different lines that I find to be very effective. I just feel like they have a lot of integrity for for their actual product, integrity for the sourcing. So products that I love, again, when, when it comes to skincare, I like, you know, balance is the key word. We always want to balance the pH of the skin. So I never look for products that are stripping, things that are going to strip the face. I, I try to stay away from that. Some people go really harsh on the scrubs or some people go really crazy with their retinols or you know use too much things with too much alcohol or peroxide. Like those are big no-nos for me. So I always look for things that are going to balance and nourish. Um, the P50 is a big winner for so many people. I feel like for people who have combination skin or reactive skin or skin prone to breakouts or hyperpigmentation. P50 has an element of phenol in it and lactic acid. The two in combination with one another make a really, you know, winning combo for balancing the pH of the skin. So I really like Biologique Recherche, their P50. They have different ones that are meant for different skin types. So if you haven't tried it, look into it and slowly, gradually incorporate it into your skincare regimen. I started out with like two days a week and then I worked my way up and I would use it and you have to pat it into the face and I, I would like to dilute it with a little bit of like thermal um, mist 
after I use it because it, it kind of tangles and it burns a little bit when you first start mm-hmm. using it. I also love the Restore C Pro 10X. So Restore C, the active ingredient in Restore C is a enzyme that is released from salmon eggs that it actually it, it is meant to eat away the dead skin cells on the face and it leaves behind the um, the healthy ones. So I love Restore Pro. I thought the 10X was uh, was a game changer for my skin, my own skin regimen. Um, I talk about Restore all the time. I think all of her products are amazing. She has a under eye serum that really works wonders as well, along with another line blur under eye moisturizer. Those are three of my favorite ones from that line. Um, the Babor, their Skinovage Balancing Cream was what turned me on to the whole entire line. I just think it's a game changer. They have really great ampules too that treat different skin conditions. So I use my Babor Balance Skinovage Balancing Moisturizer every single day. It's one of my favorite products. I can't live without it. I think I've gone through like 30 jars already. <laughs> um, <laughs> I eat that stuff. I literally can't get enough of it. <laughs> then they have, oh, Skin Better Science. The Alpha Ret is what I use for my retinoid at night. It's, it's a retinoid with a lactic acid. So... That one I tend I have issues with retinols. My skin gets really, really sensitive to different retinols. I get hives from it. So everyone's skin reacts differently. You always have to find the retinol that's gonna work for you, whether it's a retinol palmitate, whether it's retin A, whether it's tretinoin. Some people think that the skin better science is too light. It's not doing anything for them. So they use tretinoin or they, you know, they use a prescription retin A. And that's something you should maybe work through with your board-certified dermatologists. They know better than I do. SPF all day, every day. You know, Anytime I'm going outside, I reapply. And I, I'm an avid reapplier of SPF. So I love the Elta MD. I also really like if I'm going to be on the beach or if I'm going on a cruise or a yacht, I'm going to be using my ISDIN. ISDIN is um, 100% SPF, uh, 100, yeah, 100 SPF, SPF 100, sorry. It's a heavy zinc oxide based SPF. So that's an excellent one to use, especially for people who are prone to hyperpigmentation and melasma. I love the ISDIN. Skin Better Science also makes a really good line moisturizer for fine lines and wrinkles called Interfuse. It's something I use every day. I use it around my eyes. I use it on my nasolabial folds and marionette lines. So I love the Interfuse. Skin Better, I think, is an all around like excellent line. So for anybody looking for a really good medical grade line, check out Skin Better Science. I don't know. What else? What are you using? That's a lot. That's so so helpful. Well, I've been using Babor since you introduced me to it and it was such a game changer. Ah. Such a game changer. I've been like singing it from the rooftops. (laughs) People have been asking me on podcasts and like uh, print interviews and stuff. And I am like, Babor, it changed the game for me. Yeah. yeah me so good. Yeah. And same, same with Restore. See, I've been using that. And it's so funny because my husband already thinks that I'm going to turn into a salmon because of how often I eat it. And then he's like, what is that? And I'm like, it's salmon enzyme. And he's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> salmon, salmon is nothing but goodness. Okay. Nothing but goodness. <laughs> so true. <laughs> he's like, you're going to turn into a salmon. Um, so I love, I love that you are inspiring me to try the Biologique P50 again. I've tried it many times and I've tried 
a couple of the different ones I can't remember. I got the sensitive skin one first and then I got the 1970 and I did, I was diluting it and I was only, maybe only, maybe I was doing it every other day. I don't know. Every time I've done it, I've Rest. broken out like crazy and it yeah. does not stop. I mean, it. Do, I can go through the uglies for like a few weeks um, if I know that it's working, but it's right. like never ending. Some um, people, it really, you know, I, I pick and choose who I will recommend it for. If you have like super hypersensitive skin, it's not for you because again, there's that element of phenol in it. Phenol used to be used as like a very, very harsh chemical peel where people don't even use it anymore. The old school mm-hmm. doctors will still use it instead of like trichloric acid, the TCA peels, they'll use phenol. And like, it's very rare that I hear phenol come up in conversation anymore, but that is like that active ingredient in P50. P is for phenol. So that's what made it so popular. And that's why people tend to love it so much because you're getting kind of like a baby chemical peel every time you use it. Mm-hmm. It's such a light. I mean, there's like literally one tiny little drop in every bottle, but still it's enough to, <laughs> it's enough to aggravate skin if you're really not a good candidate for it. Right. Well, I don't like to give up on things, so I'm going to try again. <laughs> I want to be part of the yeah, P50 I club. I mean, I, everybody that I know, everybody that I know is like, it is a game changer. Like, we should probably, what we should probably do is get you to like a biology research certified facialist um, mm. who just, you know, really uses the product line, knows it well. When are, when are you in New York next? Probably not until September. So I was going to go on my trip in two weeks, but I'm going to see my parents and they were like, you're not going to New York and then coming here. Don't think no. so. No. When, whenever you're able to get back, maybe in September, what I'll do is I'll connect you with Yasmin, who's my facialist. And she was one of the first facialists to introduce it to the United States. She um, she actually trained right under Dr. Alouche, who was the founder of Biologic Recherche. So she knows that line better than anyone, and she'll know exactly what to do for you. So She's the one who literally changed the game for skincare for me and has taught me so much. So I owe a lot of, you know, the credit to her with the knowledge that I have in skincare and skincare lines. Um, She's also a huge proponent of uh, Valmont, which I I never really got into, but it's supposedly an excellent line as well. Hmm. Amazing. Okay. Let's finish out with makeup must-haves. What do you like? So when I really, I have so much makeup and it's so funny because Brittany is also a makeup artist. She's a professional makeup artist on the side and I, I am a collector of makeup and I never wear it. <laughs> so um, I am, what I use every single day is my Armani Luminous Silk uh, foundation. I love, love, love the Armani Luminous Silk. I've gone through so many bottles of it. And then they also have the tint. Um, and I'll put a little tint on my cheek and everyone always asks me what blush I'm wearing. And it's this Armani Luminous Silk tint, uh, cheek tint. So I use a little bit of that. I use a Bobbi Brown bronzer. So I'll put a little bit of that for contour. And then usually, you know, I have my eyebrows microbladed and I, I usually wear lash extensions, which I've been going without for four months. So I feel naked, but, um, that's usually the extent of it for me. I don't go too crazy. I'm not crazy on the lipstick. Um, when I do, there's like two colors that I wear. I do like a NYX gloss, which is their butter gloss. I'm really big on um, the creme brulee lip gloss because it's like a nude. It's really beautiful. And then I do fire down below when I do it like a bold lip, red NARS. I love NARS. So I've mm-hmm. gone through so many of the fire down belows. 
everyone's constantly asking me which red I wear and that's my number one. Um, but I'm also like very dark olive skin. I don't like to do too much makeup. I really place a lot of value on clean, beautiful, glowing skin. So I try to get the skin right. And then everything else kind of, you just need minimal of everything else once you have beautiful skin. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm the exact same way. I hate putting makeup on. I mean, I do it when I have to, but but good skin is the best, the best accessory, right? It really is. And I mean, I have to give so much love and respect to makeup artists because I suck at putting on my own makeup. So <laughs> I, I just like make a mess. You know, I'm the person who put, goes to put on liquid liner and ends up like doing it 20 times on each yeah. My whole lid <laughs> is covered with eyeliner at that point. So <laughs> I give a lot of respect to my makeup artists. And if you could do makeup well, like by all means, go for it. I'm just not somebody who is like artistically inclined when it comes to applying makeup. <laughs> Same, same. Okay. Well, this was so informative. I could keep going, but I know we both probably have (laughs) things to do today besides this. But um, I want to just quickly go through like what the process is of working with you if somebody listening wants to consult with you. Sure. So um, a lot of people will write to me on Instagram and send, you know, stories and photos. That's usually not the way to do it because I get so many inquiries via social media. Um, it's, it's impossible for me to check everything. I work all day long, so it's hard for me to look at that. I would say the best way to contact us is to email uh, either me or my admin. And, and the main email address is hello at thebeautybrokers.com. Or you could go to our website, thebeautybrokers.com, or, you know, just find me on Instagram at beautybrokerofficial or on Twitter at beautybroker, thebeautybroker on Facebook. I mean, we have every outlet pretty much covered. And there's a lot of articles. If you Google us, uh, you will find some of my articles online, which also has our information. But we're always happy to help. Uh, Make sure that you call or email in advance. And to get in touch with us because we do book out a couple of months. Right now, I think we're booked out till almost November. So we're pretty busy. That's crazy. That's amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) we'll talk to you soon. hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. I'm always posting about each episode there or over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie. 